Good morning, church. Um, today our reading is coming from John chapter 6, verses 25 to 71. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it, is with, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say now, I have now come from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven.
not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the man, the Son of Man, ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who do not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, is carried. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of God. Good morning, family. Uh, welcome to church at home. It is good to be together together this morning once again to hear from God's word. Now this morning's sermon is a continuation of the sermon we began last week. I should have introduced myself. My name is Reggie. I'm the young adults pastor here at Christ Church Midwind. But hey, this sermon is a continuation of the sermon of the series we have been doing. Uh, David last week told us that uh, God came to give us life. Today we will see that the kind of life that God has come to give us is a life that truly satisfies. And that's the title of our sermon, A Life That Truly Satisfies. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for the work you have done for us on the cross. We thank you that it is that work that gives us a life of ultimate satisfaction. And Father, would you help us this morning when we are tempted to turn to other things that we think can't satisfy, to come back to you, to come back to the cross. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Now how many of you can say that you honestly believe that statement? That the kind of life that God wants you to have in 2021 and years to come is a life that truly satisfies. I mean, do you believe that? I mean, if you and I are honest to one another this morning, we would admit that for the most time, we, we don't actually believe this. So even right now, we might be tempted to believe that God is holding out on us. See, like if I may, a toddler that is screaming for dessert right before a meal. I mean, it's not like we doubt the goodness of God. God is good all the time, right? He's good to everyone else but you or me. I think you and I are ashamed to admit that that's what we often think of God. We often think God is holding out on us. And so when we hear that the kind of life he wants to give us is a life of true satisfaction, that kind of statement does not even bring us to the edge of our seats. It doesn't excite us. 
It doesn't excite us, one, because we don't trust God to give us this life. And two, because you and I have dug up our own systems or laid our own tables where we find satisfaction. See, all too often, many of us break our necks trying to get what God wants to give us. We are consuming things, buying things, building things, and trying things which we think will make us satisfied. We're searching for life and meaning and purpose. We're searching for joy and all these things. And you see, what you and I often don't realize, what we commonly don't realize is this, often, often, emphasis on that word, often, the drunkard is looking for life at the bottom of a bottle. Often, the drug addict is looking for life in their next high. The adulterer is looking for life in the arms of another. The porn addict is looking for life in their sexual fantasy. The corporate climber is looking for life in status and success. The parents who break their backs to send their kids to an elite school are looking for life in creating a legacy. The debtor who buys things they do not need is looking for life in a particular lifestyle. The people pleaser is looking for life from from the acceptance of others. The rude or crude person is looking for life by belittling others. And the religious fanatic who comes to church, who goes to life group, who reads their Bible and prays simply to tick a box, is looking for life in morality and rules. So, so let me ask you this this morning. Where are you looking for life or satisfaction? What things are you hoping will give you joy, peace, and hope? See, here's the thing. Whatever it is that you're hoping will give you joy, will give you peace, the satisfaction it offers is only short-lived. It's, it's temporary. It's momentary. And you and I know this. We know it. See, this is why people who have attained all of these things or who have had all these experiences and more still wake up wondering if there's more to life. See, at some point, you and I need to realize that trying to find satisfaction our own way, trying to find satisfaction the world's way, trying to find satisfaction in everything else but God is like drinking from a cup that doesn't hold water. See, we keep scooping and scooping, hoping to find satisfaction. But it can't give us satisfaction because the cup has a hole. See, it can't hold. It can't give us the satisfaction that you and I desire. See, every promise of satisfaction that does not begin, end, and is not centered on Jesus. It's like empty calories. It looks good. It looks pleasing. But you and I know that it is not ultimately good for us. So why would we settle for that? Why, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, would we work for what does not satisfy when God is offering us a life that truly satisfies Why would we turn to all these things when God is inviting us to a life of joy and peace and hope? 
Well, if this morning you are saying, Reggie, I hear you. I, I hear you. So how can I get this life so that I can have a truly satisfying 2021? Well, I'm glad you asked. And our passage this morning, uh, because our passage this morning actually helps us to see that. Now, and to, to understand our passage this morning, we have three points. Nothing new. The three points guy has three points. And these are three points. For you and I to have a life that truly satisfies, you and I must be hungry. One. Two, we must feast. And three, we must stay at the table. I hope you got those three points. We must be hungry, we must feast, and we must stay at the table. Let's go to our first point. We must be hungry. And we will read from John chapter 6, the passage that was read for us earlier, and we'll read from verse 25 onwards. Listen to what John says to us. When they found him, this is Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Let's continue reading from verse 32. Uh, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Continue reading from verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, so that, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Let's stop there. See, in these scenes, uh, John tells us a story of people who come to Jesus because they are hungry. See, on the previous day, they had followed Jesus up a mountain because they saw the signs that he was doing. See, uh, they, they, they follow Jesus, we are told in verse 2 and 3, because they saw the signs that he was doing. And when they find Jesus, they find him sitting with his disciples, intending to be alone. But when Jesus sees them coming from a distance, he makes a plan to feed them. He gives them free food by breaking five loaves of bread and two fish by, and multiplying them to feed over 5,000 of them. Now the question we should ask is, what is, why does Jesus do this? Why does he do this for them? Now no, no doubt Jesus does this out of compassion and love, but, but more, more, more importantly, we should see that he does it 
to teach a lesson on the kind of life that he offers and who can get this life. But you see, the crowd totally misses the point of the sign that Jesus has done has just done. See, they see the feeding as simply an opportunity for free food and an opportunity for material gain. See, this is what they see in the feeding that Jesus does. It's an opportunity for them to get free food and an opportunity for material gain. Now, you and I don't often see the second part of that story because we, we, we read uh, this story with 21st century eyes that do not see bread as a staple. I mean, for most people, for most of you this morning, you are probably on a diet, a low-carb diet that does not include bread. But you see, in first century Palestine, where bread is life, it is estimated that people spent around 85% of their daily wages and income on food. See, these people lived from hand to mouth. They lived, one would say, in poverty. And so bread for them was life. And so when they see Jesus feeding them, they see an opportunity to save 85% of what they work for. And so you can imagine as they come to him, that that, that they're coming to him him thinking, hey, here's an opportunity, here's a ticket for free food. But he also hears a ticket out of poverty. He has a ticket out of living from hand to mouth. He has a ticket for material blessing. They're probably thinking if we stick with him, then then we might not need to continue working. And we can get to save whatever we have made. Which is why we see a little bit later, they want to make him king. See, this crowd sees the kind of life that satisfies, the kind of life that Jesus is offering them as a life of material gain. As a life that fills their belly. That's what they're thinking about. That's what they think is the kind of life that Jesus is offering to them. But you see, Jesus challenges them. He challenges them to realize that the kind of life that he has come to give them is not like that. He challenges them to realize that material blessing or material things cannot guarantee true satisfaction. And so you see, if there's anything 2020 uh, has taught us, it is this, that material things, material blessing cannot guarantee true satisfaction. See, all of this spoils or perishes or is destroyed or taken away from us. I mean, think of the terrible tragedy that has happened to most people's lives. Many who lost their jobs, their houses, and their cars. It's terrible. But if, if, but if there's anything 2020 has taught us, it is this. It is not wise to bank your satisfaction in life on those things. It isn't. Why work for what does not satisfy? Why continue to scoop from a cup that is a hold? See, as Jesus challenges them, this is what he wants them to see, that the life of material gain, the life of material things does not satisfy. So you see, Jesus is challenging, in challenging them, is imploring them to see that this isn't the kind of life they were made for. So he wants them to see 
that they were made for much more than material things or material gain. The kind of life he has come to give them is a life that truly satisfies. He desires to bless them with the life that is better, the life that is good. But now perhaps you're asking, uh, what is this life that is good? How does it look like? Uh, How do we know that we have been always hungry for this life? Well, John, in his gospel, all throughout his gospel, describes life, this life, eternal life, as one that is filled with joy, peace, and hope. Now, here's the thing. It is a life that is filled with joy, peace, and hope. Not later, but now. It starts now. But very often, the way that you and I think of eternal life, we think of eternal life as something that begins after we die, hence the phrase, life after death. But you see, this life begins now. The life is filled now with joy, peace, and hope. And so a better phrase to use would be, it is life after life after death. It is a life that is filled with joy now. See, eternal life does not refer to a period of time or a quality or a quantity of time, rather. See, eternal life refers to at this moment, in this age, to a quality of life. And that quality of life is a life that is filled with joy, peace, and hope. And in the age to come, it is a life that is both quality and quantity. It is a life that is filled with all of these things for all time. So when we hear eternal life or the life that Jesus promises to these Christians or to this crowd, we should hear that the kind of life that he's promising them is a life that is filled with joy now. It is a life that is filled with peace and hope now. So God wants them. God wants you to have a life that is filled with joy, peace, and hope. A joy, peace, and hope that are unshakable, that nothing can ever take away or destroy or even steal a joy, peace, and hope that are, rooted, that are rooted not in the circumstances of life, but that are rooted on Jesus. See, a joy, peace, and hope that are not rooted on things that change, but a joy, peace, and hope that are rooted on Jesus, who is unchanging. So this is the kind of life that Jesus has come to give them, a life of joy, peace, and hope. And this is the kind of life that my soul and your soul hunger for. And this is the kind of life that actually satisfies. One commentator puts it this way, joy, peace, and hope are to our soul what energy is to our body. So just like our bodies must have energy to keep going, our souls must have joy, peace, and hope to be satisfied. When our body needs energy, we eat food. And so when our souls need joy, peace, and hope, when our souls long to be satisfied, we must realize that we are hungry for Jesus, this Jesus who promises, this Jesus who has come to give us a life that satisfies. C.S. Lewis, the British, that old British writer, puts it this way, if I find in myself Desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for much more than this world can ever offer. And you see, this is what this, this is what Jesus wants these crowds to realize. They were made for much more than this world can ever offer. And so material things, 
can never satisfy them. They, they can never satisfy them. They were made for much more than that. And the much more than that they were made for is Jesus. So this sign, the sign, the feeding of the, of the 5,000 is, is signifying or signifying that Jesus is the one who can truly satisfy our deepest longing. He's the one who can truly satisfy our deepest longing because he is God. So this sign is simply the appetizer that points us to the main meal. It is the appetizer that points us to the main meal, which is Jesus. Another pastor puts it this way, Jesus has not come to just bring bread. He has come to be bread. He has not come to improve our lives, which he may. Rather, he has come to be our life. See, satisfaction is found when we realize this, when we realize that Jesus has come to be our bread. Jesus has come to be our life. And that's how we can be satisfied. And that's how we can find joy, peace, and hope. It is by coming to him who can truly satisfy our every longing. And here's the thing. Jesus desires to satisfy our every longing. And so, yes, he implores this crowd. He implores them to not settle for the appetizer when the main meal stands right in front of them. To not settle for the gift when the giver stands before them. But they wouldn't listen. See, by the end of the chapter, this is what we, we realize, that they, they wouldn't listen. See, they wouldn't listen to what Jesus is saying. They are fine settling for what does not satisfy, for what does not give ultimate satisfaction. They are fine with continuing to scoop, scoop for satisfaction from a cup that does not hold. See, the giver of life, the giver of all gifts stands before them but they're fine going for the appetizer. And so Jesus is imploring them, just as he's imploring us this morning, do not look for satisfaction in these created things. Do not look for satisfaction in material things. Do not look for satisfaction anywhere else, but in the giver of life, but in the one who is the bread who has come to give us life, the one who is our very life. John Piper, the prince of joy himself, says this. Indeed, there are 10,000 gifts that flow from the love of God, but none of these gifts will lead to final joy, to final satisfaction, if they do not first lead to God. And not one blessing, he says, will be enjoyed by anyone who does not realize that the greatest gift that they ought to embrace is the Lord himself. See, all of these gifts, all of creation, you can scour all of it, and you will never be satisfied if you don't realize that the satisfaction is found by first coming to this giver of, of all of these gifts, to the giver of life, to the giver of true satisfaction. And here's the thing. All that he requires of us is to be hungry for this gift. Oh, hungry for this life, rather, that he offers. 
Another quote from John Piper, the cost to receive this eternal life in the kingdom is hunger for the bread of life. See, this is all that is required for us, for us to hunger for Jesus. And so, if you want to have a truly satisfying 2021, here's the first point. You need to hunger for Jesus. Now, that helps us move to our second point, which is we need to feast on Jesus. And to continue on with our second point, we'll read from verse 29. Verse 29 says this. So remember, we're in our second point. We need to feast on Jesus. This is what Jesus, this is what John says to us in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him he has sent. Now let's skip over the page and go to verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 53 to verse 56. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on the flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. We'll stop right. Okay, let's continue rather to verse 56. And whoever feeds on the flesh, on my flesh rather, and drinks of my blood, abides in me, and I in him. So immediately here, we see that the idea of feeding on Jesus is synonymous to believing in Jesus. See, both the, the feeding of Jesus, the feeding from Jesus rather, and believing in Jesus lead to eternal life. So we can see that these two things are synonymous. In these two things, John is saying the same thing. That those who receive this gift are those who feast on Jesus. Those who receive this life are those who feast on Jesus. And so we know that the cannibalistic language there that sounds like a scene from Dracula or Vampire Diaries is rather metaphoric, but it is an invitation to partake in the life that Jesus offers. It is an invitation to partake in this life that satisfies. But you see, this metaphoric language still does not explain the link between bread and flesh and blood. It does not explain the change from bread to flesh and blood. Is there any significance in that? Well, yes, there is. And this is it. See, Jesus uses the words flesh and blood to show that for us to have this life that truly satisfies, then he would have to give up his own life. See, his own flesh needs to be broken like bread, and his own blood needs to be poured out like water for us to have 
this life that truly satisfies. See, for humanity to be invited back at God's table to experience favor and love from the Father, then Jesus needs to be broken and his blood needs to be poured out. See, what we see here is that for those who have turned their backs on God, for them to have a life that truly satisfies, then first, Jesus needs to give up his life for them. See, at the cross, we see the one who has prepared the table of God's royal banquet. We see him giving up his seat so that those who do not deserve a seat at God's table are given a seat so that they would come and eat of this great lavish that God has given, so that they would come and eat of this true satisfaction that God is offering, so that they would come and know God as Father. See, none of us, John wants us to see here, can actually experience this life without feasting on Jesus. We need to feast on Jesus. We need to believe in what he has done. And not just in one point in our life, but we need to feast on him over and over again. And we need to feast on him because it is by feasting on him that we realize this great privilege that he has given. And the great privilege that he has given you and I is to come to sit at the table with the Father. To come to sit at the table with he that wants to give us a life that truly satisfies. J.I. Packer actually, Packer rather, puts it this way. He says, to know God as Father, as our, our, as our almighty loving Father, is the highest, richest, and most rewarding, and most rewarding satisfaction. most rewarding aspect, rather, of our relationship with him. See, for us to find true satisfaction, see, we need to come to know this God who has created all things, who, who invites us into his family, who adopts us and brings us to his table and wants to give us a life that truly satisfies. See, this kind of satisfaction is liberating. And this is why it's liberating. It's liberating because it stops you and I from trying to find satisfaction in anything else but Jesus. And two, it means when things don't go well in life, we never at any point think that God has changed his mind about us. We never get to a point where we are tempted to doubt the goodness of God. See, the highest the richest and most rewarding aspect of the Christian life, of this life, is coming to know God as Father, a God who loves you, a God who wants to give you a life that truly satisfies. And here's the thing. This Father wants you to have a truly satisfying 2021. But to do that, you and I need to feast on Jesus and like I said, not only at one point in our life, but we need to come back to Jesus over and over and again so that we could feast on him, so that we're not tempted by everything else that lose us, that, 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 promises, that promises us satisfaction. Um, uh, we, we, we stick to this life 
that God has given us. And you see, this here is a great way to move to our third point, which is stay at the table. Our first point was uh, we must be hungry. Our second point, we must feast. Our third point is we must stay at the table. And for that, we'll read from verse 66 onwards. This is what John says to us in verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples turned and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not just choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. See, right after, in this scene we see, right after a lot of people have turned away from Jesus, they've walked away from Jesus, Jesus turns to the twelve and then says to them, are you also thinking of leaving? But, but the manner in which Jesus asks this question shows us, shows us that Jesus is not anxious. See, the kind of uh, answer that is expected from this question is no. See, this question could actually be read as, you do not want to leave as well now, do you? And you see how the disciples respond. Peter responds on behalf of, of the twelve and says, Lord, where would we go? Where shall we go? See, we have come to you. We have seen that you are the only one who has a life that truly satisfies. See, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so, essentially, we are staying at the table. That's what Peter is saying. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else can give us the, the satisfaction that you offer. Nothing else can give us the great privilege of having the God of the universe as our Father, the God of the universe caring for us and loving on us. So where would we go? We are not going anywhere else, Peter is saying. We are staying at the table. See, for you and I to have a truly satisfying life, then we, we need to do what Peter does. We need to stay at the table. We need to not only realize that we are hungry. We need to not only feast, but we must stay at the table and continue to feast on this life that Jesus gives to us. Now, I know a lot of times in my life when I've been tempted to find satisfaction in other things than Jesus. When, like Judas Iscariot, who we should realize, actually walked away from Jesus because he saw something else as being more satisfying. I've had times in my life when I found myself there as well. I don't know if you found yourself at that moment. When, when the words that Jesus says about a particular thing don't sit well with you, when something entices you and looks more satisfying than what Jesus offers. I don't know if you found yourself there when you're just tempted to give up on the Christian life, when you're tempted to do things your way, to find satisfaction your way. See, I found myself at this place. 
too many times. But what has kept me at the table is this, these words from Peter. Where else would we go? Where else would we go? There's nowhere else where we can find satisfaction, the kind of satisfaction that you offer. There's no other God that can adopt us and invite us to his table and promise to care for us, not only for this life, but for the life to come. But if I'm honest, what has also kept me, and actually more importantly, what has kept me, is Jesus. You would notice that over and again, Jesus in this passage says, those the Father has given to me, I will keep. See, he will not lose them. She was kept me from turning away from Jesus and trying to find satisfaction elsewhere. Is Jesus himself. And him actually using these words that Peter is saying to echo over and over and over in my heart. To convict me with these words from Peter. Where else could we try? Where else could I find satisfaction? Why would I continue to scoop with a cup that does not hold water when there's one who offers me a life that truly satisfies. For you and I to have a truly satisfying 2021, which might look like 2020, which might be a difficult year for us once again, for us to have that truly satisfying life, despite the difficulty that this year might bring, then we must first realize that our deepest longing, our hunger, is for Jesus. And then we must come to him and feast. And then we must stay at the table. Let us pray. Father, we pray that the life that you give to us the life that you promised to all who turn to Jesus. We pray that we would see that this life is what ultimately satisfies. This life is what brings ultimate joy, peace, and hope. A joy and peace and hope that are unshakable in a world that is unchanging. Father, would you help us to rest in the fact that you have not only invited us to your table, but you have adopted us and made us your very own. In Jesus' name, amen.